0: Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together and to praise your name. Thank you for the beauty of this morning, Lord, for the chill, Lord, and for the warmth of this place. We pray, Lord God, that you would warm our hearts, that you would thaw out the ice that develops inside of us, Lord God, and that you would Make whole what has been broken. Lord, we come here uh, bearing burdens with challenges and failures and uh, crushing defeats in our lives, Lord. We come to you and ask for your peace. Ask for your mercy. Ask for your grace and love, Lord, and for your, your loving spirit to fall upon us. Lord, guide us in this service and lead us to yourself that we might put our faith in you and find our hope and our fulfillment and our sustenance in you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all. You get a special star on your attendance record for coming the Sunday after Christmas. Well done. Now, uh, if you'll think back, I guess about a decade ago, there was a movie that came out. It was the first Harry Potter movie, and there was a book as well that was written, Uh, both of them, were quite entertaining, and it's about a young boy named Harry, and it begins with Harry living in the house of his aunt and uncle, and he is given a very special place in this house, right? Anyone know what that place is? Under the stairs. He lives under the stairs in their house, right? In this, like, cubbyhole closet that is his room. And it's not really a room, is it? It's just, like, spare space they shoved him into. Because no one in the family really likes him. They all think he's an imposition upon them. He's getting in their way. They all distrust him. And he's deprived of privilege, of food, of affirmation, and of love. It's a laughably horrible situation that he finds himself in, and it leads to all kinds of hijinks and challenges. Now, in our reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, we have a situation that's remarkably similar to that situation of Harry, right? We have a tale of two different guardians, two different guardians, two different sets of leadership that are overseeing us in our lives. The first one, the first guardian, is described as um, one, this guardian, imprisons us. And we are under this guardian, guarded under the law. Paul and the Galatians, according to this passage, were prisoners, were captives to the law. And the law, like a jail guard, kept them in their cells. Right, Because they were lawbreakers, and that's what the law does, it convicts. And it reveals what is righteous and true. And if one is not righteous or true, they are convicted under the law. In addition, Paul describes this first, uh, the state of a person underneath this uh, guardian as being subject to a disciplinarian. Well, what's a disciplinarian? Someone who believes in or practices firm discipline. We all love to be under a disciplinarian, don't we? Is that anyone's favorite thing in life? Uh, It's not so bad to be a disciplinarian. Well, actually it is. It's kind of miserable, right? But to be under a disciplinarian, that is horrible. Horrible. But wait, it gets even better. It gets even better because not only are they under a disciplinarian, but they are described as slaves under this disciplinarian. Does this seem compelling to anyone? Right? Like, if you had a choice, what's behind window number two, would you choose that, or would you go with this one? Personally, I'm going for the other one. I'm going to bet my odds on it. Because those are some pretty heavy claims, right? How can Paul, how can Paul possibly be saying this? Well, let's think about it. Let's think about the role of the law in the people of God. So we go back to the presentation of the law in the Old Testament. It was given on Mount Sinai by God to Moses. And we see from that giving of the law that the immediate response of God's people is sin. Indeed, as Moses is coming down from the mountain with the tablets in his hands, he sees the people have made what? A golden idol. idol, And what are they doing? They're having a big, wild party. They're having a barn burner there as Moses is coming down the mountain from receiving the Ten Commandments. Immediately... Immediately on the presentation of the law, sin is revealed as being rampant and present, right? As soon as the law says do not, the people say, oh, I want to do that, right? Like, don't touch that. What is the response of whoever you've told that to? They immediately want to touch it, right? Don't do this. Oh, I want to do that. Don't eat the fruit. I want to eat the fruit. Right? That's how it is in human nature. We yearn for that thing which is, we are told we cannot have. And so this pattern continues, right? The law is good and useful and shows people what proper behavior looks like, but can it make them do the right thing? No, no. no it sure can't. It can't make them do the right thing. I've read actually that the most dangerous type of intersection is one that is guarded over by a traffic, a traffic light. Right, And the reason for this is that the light indicates what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable behavior and what is unacceptable behavior. But does it have the power to stop bad behavior or to encourage good behavior? No, not at all. Instead, it kind of lulls us into the feeling that everything's going to be all right if we follow the light. And so we go through on our green light, sometimes blissfully ignorant, of looking any other way, seeing if anyone is obeying the light. And sometimes this has devastating results, doesn't it? Because the light can't prevent bad behavior. It can only indicate what one should do or should not do. So the law law came at Sinai, and it was good and perfect, like that traffic light. It could indicate what was proper behavior and what was improper behavior. But it had no ability to change the human heart. Rather, it showed the behavior that the Lord asked of his followers. And it convicted people when they fell short. And it was something that the judge could use against you in court. Right? If a police officer observes you running the red light, right, that's useful in court. The law reveals that pro- improper behavior. And it encourages the common good of others, but it can't actually do anything for a person. The law has no power in it to do that. Now, if you're looking for something in the book of Exodus that can do something for people, you need to actually look before the law came. And there's instances, of course, afterwards, but before is the big one. Right there you see the power that can actually do something and intervene in people's lives. And that is the power of God's profound deliverance. Remember, he led his people from captivity in Egypt by the power of his hand. He led them through the Red Sea on dry land and guided them to a promised land while feeding them with manna. This is the hand of grace. The people had done nothing to deserve this special treatment, and yet the Lord gave it to them and worked in their favor so that they could find peace and security. This is the story that draws us to the other guardian, the guardian of faith. Paul tells us, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. A new master, a son, was sent to redeem the people who were trapped under the law. People were unable to free themselves. Like the donkey stuck in quicksand in Swiss Family Robinson, we could not free ourselves from our predicament. As a result of this deliverance, um, Paul declares, And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. By the gospel of grace, we are no longer slaves or prisoners but rather children, and like children, the Galatians and us could cry out to God through his spirit saying, Abba, Father, Abba, of course, being an endearing word, a tender word for a father. It's like saying, Daddy. The result of this is that we are made heirs of the kingdom of God. That is a pretty sweet deal, if you ask me. Now, I began this sermon by using the illustration of the horrible guardians that Harry had at the beginning of the story. Now, the major difference between that situation in the book and us is that we know that there's a greatness in Harry that if only his guardians saw it, they would surely treat him better, right? If only they realized how much potential and wonder and talent was inside this person, they would surely have treated him better than that. It is a story, therefore, of comeuppance, right? Harry gets to prove how powerful he is. He gets to do things, and he gets revealed as the most powerful. That, my friends, is not our story. That's not our story at all. Our story is not one of comeuppance. Our story is not one of, if only they realized how wonderful inside I actually was, they would surely reward me for it. That's not our story. Although sometimes we think that way. We want it to be our story, don't we? Our story is not that God finally saw how great we truly were and then rewarded us with his son Jesus Christ and his grace as a graduation present for our successes, like a capstone upon our career. No, we are given God's grace because that was the path he chose to save us from ourselves. We were not hidden talent waiting to be discovered. We were destructive forces in need of transformation. We were addicts to the law who need to be set free by God's grace. Now, according to Galatians, by the grace of God, we have been offered two ways of living. One is under the disciplinarian of the law which will lead us to prison and ultimately to slavery the other is under a loving father whose son has paid the ultimate price to set us free those are the two different dis- those are the two different guardians we can live under a disciplinarian or the free gift of god's grace we can be children or we can be slaves to me the choice seems clear what about to you How do you want to live? Now, this is not only a decision we make once in our life when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is a decision that we make every moment. How will I live? Because while we might choose, of course, if we're really thinking about it, that, of course, to live as a child and under the grace of God is the right thing to do, is the wise decision. It's a no-brainer. But in reality, we struggle with this because you and I, we're addicts to the law. Because the law tells us, if we could only get it together, if we could only do it right a little bit more, then God would surely love us. Then life would suddenly fall to come together. That's why there's such a popularity of like six simple steps to a happier life. Right? If it was six simple steps, wouldn't we all be happy? No, it's not. The problem is, we're addicts to the law. But we're addicts to a law that we cannot possibly live up to. We fall short every time. There might be simple steps to a happy life, but the problem is is that unhappiness resides in me, no matter how many steps I take. Our heart, therefore, yearns for another way, the way of grace and mercy, the way of belonging and love. May we reach out to christ today may we reach out to him and may he bring us in and comfort us and free us from our addiction so that we might truly be his children and live free in his love and in his peace let's pray lord god we give thanks and praise to you that you are the God who comes down to us addicts and offers us your peace. Lord God, the choice seems so clear to come to you and to put our trust in you and not to try to justify ourselves by our behavior. And yet in reality, it's so hard. That daily decision, that moment-to-moment decision to choose you above ourselves, to choose you and your righteous and your and your love of us, Lord, over trying to justify ourselves to you and to make ourselves feel good based on our behavior. Lord, that's a hard decision and a complicated decision. Help us, Lord God. Help us to navigate this, Lord, and to walk in peace and love with you and with one another. And Lord, may we be bearers of your truth and sharers of this message of redemption. Lord God, our world desperately needs to hear it because it is groaning under the burden of the law of trying to always live up to a standard which is impossible to achieve. Lord, you are the only one who has ever lived up to that standard. We thank you for being righteous on our behalf. Help us, Lord God, to be recipients of your grace and to praise you and to share your message of hope with others. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.